Welcome back to the Indie Worldwide podcast. Today, I interviewed Ross. He is building um, many things. We went from building probably the world's largest database of cheese data to African goat farmers to how Ross got involved with a private jet manufacturer via this cheese app. Uh, Enjoy. So yeah. I wanted to talk to you about Cheezus, because yeah. what is that, and how did you get started? Oh, that's a good question. So it was, I, I wish it had, like, this really great, like, origin story, but it kind of doesn't. It was one of those, I've, I live in France, I like to eat cheese, and I like to drink wine, and so one Sunday, me and my wife were sitting there, drinking wine, eating cheese, and then... <laughs> And I'm, a, I'm an avid Vivino user, so if, do you know Vivino? You know you can scan the bottle of wine. So you can take a picture of the bottle I'm of wine. I'm uncultured, man. I don't know anything. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't live um, in France and I'm sipping on cheeses and drink. <laughs> so yeah, I eating wines. Uh, I like wine, and so when I when Vivino came out, it allowed you to take pictures of the bottle of wine and or the label, and mm-hmm. it would tell you it would rate it as well. It would give you a rating, and it would tell you about it and stuff like that. And uh, and so I was just taking a picture of this, the label of the bottle of wine I was drinking. And my wife said to me, why isn't there a Vivino for cheese? And I Makes was sense. Like, That's a good question. And I had that look on my face because immediately I was like, can this work? And she went, don't, Ross. And I was like, no, bear with me. And she went, no, honestly, like, because I've got about a million things on the go at the same time, always. For mm-hmm. her, it was just like, this is just an, another thing. Like, please don't. And I went, but I know it's possible. So I'd, I'd previously done a, worked on a blockchain project um, called Goat Cash. And, and we created goat a... Goat Cash. G-O-A-T yeah, Cash. Okay. Yeah, like the goats. It was just, it was goats. Everything to do with goats. It was like 8-bit goats. So me and a few friends built like little D-apps and stuff like that. And one of them was we were trying to find a way to distribute these goat tokens to everyone. So instead of mining them, we were like, we'll get people to upload pictures of goats and we'd score them like top trumps. Like we'd give them a top trump rating for their originality. And the thing is, it gets harder. So we we made it so it was like mining. So if you just uploaded a picture from Google, it knew what that was because it just went, well, we know we've already had this one. So unless you owned your own goats and they were like unique pictures, it wouldn't give you any any goat tokens. So it got to a point where we had oh, like hundreds of thousands of pictures of goats and loads of people in Africa who actually genuinely owned goats were just taking pictures of their own goats every day um, to, to try and get more um, goat cash. And so I knew that it was physically possible to do like... <laughs> And I'm a big fan of Silicon Valley as well. And Silicon Valley, like the HBO show, did like hot dog, not hot dog. And that's what got us to like goat, not goat. And so it would come up going, if you tried to put a picture of a, a sheep up, it went, it's not a goat, it's a sheep. And so it, we, I knew that it was physically possible from a machine learning point of view to tell what it was. But then as you start to get into it, so I work on my, my day job, I work in product management at a big pharmaceutical company. So... They, mm-hmm. they make lots of, I work with scientists or I work with product teams who work with scientists to build stuff to help them discover new drugs. And uh, I was talking to the guys in the um, 
machine learning and um, our uh, data um, product line. And they were like, it's a real big data problem because you need a lot of pictures to make it reliable. And you do like to train the model on the first amount of cheeses we had, we needed like 8,000 images per cheese. And wow. that's just to get like, and, that, and as soon as that starts to grow, so if you've got 10 cheeses, 8,000 per cheese, that's fine. You get a lot about 96% accuracy. But as soon as you then start adding other cheeses in there with like small and multiple, so if you have like one picture of this cheese, like it becomes mm -hmm. very difficult. So you need, because if you think about a cheese, and this is where it gets really nerdy, but like in a really like data way, because a cheese can look completely different depending on how it's cut, the angle it's at, how mature it is, everything like that. So it's actually really difficult to get like full accuracy on cheese. So that's that's how it came about. And I thought this will be quite fun to build. And then as I was going along, I thought, you know, I actually, I, and then I was like, fuck, I should probably try and monetize this in some way because I've built this thing. Uh, I should probably do something with it. And so then I was like, okay, well, I can find ways to put like affiliate links in there for the pairings. Because what you can do is you can take a picture of cheese. It tries to identify it, but the bigger it's getting, the harder it actually is because we have so many cheeses now. And I think I've got something like, I think there's over a quarter of a million pictures of cheese that I actually have now, um, which is ridiculous. Uh, yeah, we'll have the largest data set of cheese images in the entire world at this point. Probably, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. And so we've hit about 3,000, just over 3,000 users. Um, but I, I, haven't, I haven't advertised it in any way. I predominantly just use search, um, app store optimization. because so I realized that that's how everyone was finding it. So I look at all of the stats and this is one of the things that I really enjoy. It's like, you look at your distribution channels and it's like, well, app from a lot of people actually Google Vivino for cheese and find us because we're down as that. That was our strap line for ages. And so if you find something like that, it comes directly to us. So from a search engine optimization that directs people directly to us. And we probably get about, I don't know, four or 500 people a month that search for that, which is quite a surprising number. Uh, so they're searching for cheese identifier. What are they no, searching for? Vino for cheese. Oh, Vino for cheese. So they're specifically looking for your problem. They're, they're sitting with their wives, they're sipping on cheeses, yeah, they're eating yeah. wines and they're saying, why doesn't this exist for cheese? And, but only and one I man, maybe two has decided to go and build it. Yeah, exactly. Some idiot. And, uh, and, and it, was, it was one of those, I just thought, oh, it'll be quite fun. I like cheese and stuff. And then over But 20... did you do keyword research or you were just like, this should exist? No. And I then just later thought... you found out, oh, I guess other people thought that too. Yeah, it, it was, it was purely based on, um, what I, I just thought it was, it's like, you know, back in the day, everything was the Uber of something, you know, it's the like Uber of fucking whatever, like, yeah, it, it was the thing. And so the best way. And when I built my previous startups as well, it was like, how can you make it in one sentence that people will understand what your thing is? So it was like, mm. it's the Vivino for cheese. And that was the, that was just the thing. Obviously you have to know Vivino in the first place, but if you do like it's the Vivino for cheese. And so mm -hmm. that became the thing. And it was really funny actually, because we've got a TV show, it's similar to Shark Tank in the, in the US, but it's like, it's called Dragon's Den. And a, a there's a company, a cheese company went on there called Cheese Geek. And they do cheese subscription boxes and stuff like that. And they and they went on there and they actually got funding. Um, so they do different stuff to us, but they specifically mm. mentioned in there uh, because they have a recommendation engine. Uh, mm. They were like, oh, we're like the Vivino for cheese. And they specifically mentioned those words and they clearly had not done any keyword research themselves 
on using that because after when that first aired on like BBC in the UK, we got like immediately like 200 downloads instantly that night. And, the, and our, nice. it was crazy because it, they didn't know the name of this company because it was one of those. They were like, what, what's the company called? So all they remembered was Vivino for cheese. So they just Googled it. So every now and then, I think this is another reason because it gets aired on Dave and all these other repeating channels. So every time people want to find it, they search for that because they can't remember the name and then they find me. So it's been like a really, everyone messaged me and was like, oh my God, uh, someone else is doing cheese. And I'm like, it's fine. There's, there's plenty of people doing cheese. We're all good. Um, so are you number yeah. one for, for Vivino for cheese? Yeah, I mean, if, you like, search, cool search. if you search for Vivino for cheese, you will 100%. Vivino for cheese. Number one, cheeses. The Vivino yep. of cheese. Yep. Perfect. And it's a free app, right? Or it's a free is it monetized app. in any way? It isn't at the moment. And that's that's kind of the next step. And I've built out most of the stuff to do it. And it's, it's essentially a, a marketplace. So my idea is, so again, I like left this kind of going and it just organically grew. And then over 2020, I like every obviously every, everyone's working situation kind of went to changed and uh, and I just didn't really have much time for it. I was still concentrating on trying to homeschool three children, all that sort of stuff. So I just was like, I just left it and it all organically did its thing. And then at the end of 2020, because I'd built up quite a connection of and a good network of cheese people, people that worked in the cheese industry, I realized that the biggest customer for cheese companies was hospitality so restaurants mm. hotels and stuff like that and they all shut down so 70 percent of cheese producers their their biggest customer 70 percent of it is is hospitality because most cheese producers that don't sell to supermarkets because they cut the margins too strong and so mm -hmm. they don't make money from from supermarket deals they want big volume and they want small they want big margins for themselves so they make no money so they rely on hospitality to pay them fairly but the mar but the mar so their margins are bigger they get a bigger profit and it's smaller amounts so they're not forced to produce mass produced cheese they can still do what they like as artisans and they still get paid fairly for it but that was all taken out and so mm. it, it made the, meant that they were struggling to then get a b2c model so in that i went this is a real opportunity for us in general to try and create a new customer channel for cheese producers so I've actually built a whole plugin for, and so I did a lot of research and I realized that the majority of cheese producers in the world use either uh, WooCommerce, so obviously WordPress with WooCommerce plugin, um, Shopify or, oh, there was one other, I can't remember what it is. They're, they're the main ones though. That covers about 70% of all cheese producers. And so I was like, well, but they're shit at advertising. They're so bad mm. at advertising themselves and marketing. It's like it's like most creators, right? We we love to build stuff, and they love to build make cheese. They love to make it, yeah. but they're not really good at selling their their story. And their stories are super interesting. People are interested, but they're not very good at getting out there. They're like, we've got a website, so people are going to find it. It's like no one's going to find it. They're not specifically searching for you. Why would they? So it's quite an easy sell because you go, well, we've built a plugin for your online store. So when they have an online store, it automatically syncs to our back end so we just have a, a woocommerce back end that syncs to mm. our um app so we we have a plugin on our side a plugin on their side so one's like a slave one's a master and it can automatically pull in and we have categories on our side per producer and it breaks it all down so it will automatically render the cheese in our app we take the payments on our side and we pass on the payments manually to them but we haven't released it yet because the main hurdle we actually have to deal with is 
the like the location side of things. So I want to launch geographically. So I'll start in one country because it's easier to do that way. But then it makes it more difficult from a code base as well, managing mm -hmm. like, the code bases. So that's where it's starting to get complicated. But that is the next step. Um, and I wanted to get to a certain number of users before I started to roll out this paid amount. But recently I've started to um, focus more on, on the marketing side. So I created a TikTok for it um, a couple of weeks ago. So I was like, look, I should probably capitalize on the fact that people like TikTok and there are loads of people on there. So I should probably look at that as, a, as an acquisition channel. Uh, and it's been actually really popular. So, and people are actually messaging me or commenting on the video saying, where can I buy this? Like, where can I buy this cheese online? And because there's no a way to do it, it's like people like this is it's like like product market fit. Right? It's like this cements the fact that I should release this ability to be able to sell cheeses. So the next step for me is to just push this update to the app so people can buy cheeses through the app. So that's the next stage. That's what I really want to get to monetization. Now. I think I found you on TikTok. Are you at Jesus app? That's us. Yeah. All right. Nice. So let's do the numbers. Uh, there's no revenue, right? Is it expensive nope. to run this? Are you burning money? Uh, no, it's not burning. Uh, don't get me wrong. It's, uh, I think total costs to run it is about a hundred euros a month. Total. Okay. So it's not nothing, but it's not crazy either, especially if you yeah. have another job. And um, so to the cost to date to get to mm -hmm. this point, um, development and everything mm -hmm. included, uh, to run it is probably about seven thousand dollars seven thousand euros something about that so it's i've done it really i spent a lot on my previous startups and like for nothing so i was like nah this is being like severely cut and i have to do everything as i have to make sure it works i have to make sure that yeah. i pick the right channels hence the reason i focused on app store optimization because people search for cheese app it comes up like i purposely picked the things that i could do and I could do myself without having to spend money on doing it and then testing those first. So that's my biggest things I wanted to do rather than just chuck money at the problem and see if it creates product market fit because that's not going to work. This is a good indie hacker instinct, I think, to actually try to test and be more efficient with your dollar. That whole thing of like when you have money, it's very easy to chuck at it and, and not get the value from it. And this is yeah. where I think that like indie hackers have this, this one up against like VC funded companies because they got money but they they spend it but they don't they don't really get that same value for it like when you have a finite amount of it and it's very small every penny counts to where you put it like you just think well i'll either put it here or put it here like we either develop something or fix a bug or we do something else like you have to make a choice and that and then you really think about the value of what mm. you're putting your money towards whereas with a vc you just chuck it out but then you stop really counting what what makes a difference what makes an impact and so all my day job in product has made me analyze everything I do in a bigger way. Like, look at the numbers, look what has an impact. If I'm doing this, it's got to, it's got to make an impact. I'm not just going to keep advertising or keep doing something if it's not actually valuable in the, in the long run. Uh, it's interesting at the Indie Worldwide Mastermind earlier today, exact same thing came up. We we're talking about best way to bootstrap a business. When should you raise? And this idea of like, um, having that financial pressure to actually be really efficient sometimes leads to more creativity versus yeah. let me just throw bodies at it. Let me just throw money at the problem and see if it solves itself. Cause sometimes, you know, you're, you maybe get stuck in a local maximum there. You don't realize 
oh, there's this other much more efficient way I could have spent that money if only I had, you know, really focused on what, what the problem was and what my customers wanted. I'd be interested to see what the opinion was on when you should raise. What, what, what came out of that? Because I've got my own opinion, but I'd be interested in what the general consensus was about when you should raise. Yeah, so the consensus at Mastermind today seemed to be uh, raise money once you've already hit product market fit and found like your distribution channel that you can scale up by, by putting money into it and not before then. Um, yeah. I think there's kind of arguments we can make for that. Like that's kind of a luxury that you can only have if you have a job that gives you enough time to also work on a startup or already have had an exit or something to like be able to fundraise for yourself. But yeah. um, assuming that you can do it, I think it's obviously better to like retain control and not raise money until you know how you're going to spend the money. Yeah, I would have definitely said, like, so my default would be, I, and this is this has changed over the years. Like previously, I would have said otherwise. You know, it was the aim to raise in my previous startups that was like the thing. Whereas now, I 100% would say, raising is for scale. Like that's yeah. all you want to do. Like you know, you can't scale because you have the interest is there, and if you want to capitalize on that interest in the market, that's where you raise the money because you need that money to scale because you just can't get in quick enough to, to, to meet the demand. But otherwise I, I wouldn't. So personally, I wouldn't, I'm not interested in raising. I'm happy to do this myself, but equally I, I have the luxury to be able to afford to then bootstrap that along the way. So my burn rate mm -hmm. is like, I could do that forever if I wanted to at the moment, but equally I'd like it at some point not to just be a, a drain the entire time. It is more of a passion project because I just, I do love what I do there. And I think it's really interesting. Um, but ultimately I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, babysit a passion project for my entire life if it doesn't ever amount to anything so hence the increased focus these days of actually trying to trying to do the thing that most indie uh <laughs> indie makers hate and that's marketing and and working yeah. out the best distribution channels so yeah i'm finding really that focus important well, which one which which but which place to focus i think is a big one yeah. i think it's really so, important to know what game you're playing and why you're playing it right like if you're trying to build a nuclear fusion reactor. You need money for that kind of project. Yeah. You have to raise. That's not what most indie hackers are trying to do. That's not what our goals are, right? We're trying to build that support like our particular lifestyle. They don't need to ever go public or be unicorn status. Um, and even if they do, if it's pure software, you might be able to bootstrap your way there and have yeah. much better like personal financial and lifestyle outcome than if you raised money and now now that you've raised money, you got to go spend it. You know, if you don't know how you're going to spend it, then why did you raise it? Yeah. And I think the, the common misconception is that you can buy product market fit. Um, but you can't, if it is there, it's there, you know, like, yeah, you can, you can truly hack and bootstrap your way to product market fit. If you do it like dirty enough, yeah. especially nowadays with no code, if you really want to again it depends it, it can't be it can't be a friggin new, like nuclear fusion reactor or anything like that because you, you, that's hardware based and it's really difficult but predominantly nowadays if it's a product if it's a SaaS product if it's most of the time even from an app especially with things like no code and stuff as well like you can get something together pretty cheaply even if you're just trying to test that market in that way you know, if you, if you get something out there and just slowly try and get it a bit better and you're working, but this also comes back to your business model. If you haven't got a business model that you've thought about in the, like in the long run, 
you know, I, I thought one was going to be completely different to what it is now. I thought I was just purely going to use like, because it, it, every cheese has like different pairings with it as well. So I wanted to just have every time you clicked on it, it says you can shop now and it has an affiliate link in there. So it's all affiliate based. Like, so we'd make a, some money back from there. And I thought we'd do that. And it actually had adverts in there as well. So I had adverts on the, on the, on the app. And I got rid of them all because it just made it messy. And I was like, mm -hmm. I have a longer term plan. I'm going to focus more on acquisition at the moment because I need the numbers. Because if I'm going to then launch in my revenue model, I need people to then buy it to do it the first in the first place. So it's like, okay, focus on marketing, growing the numbers. I can afford to do that now. That's a luxury I have, hence my strategy. If it wasn't a luxury I had, I would completely change my strategy and do it. You no, know? so I think every time you build something, you have to look at your own personal situation and think, I can't afford to fund this for a year before I monetize, or I can't afford to do this until then. So you go, what is my road to revenue and what should that look like? And that's hence the reason a lot of people are like, you need to do it straight away. Like your road to revenue should be like straight away. And if you can't get revenue straight away, then whatever. But it, I think that's it's something that you need to try and make sure fits your scenario. I'm seeing the an opposite trend, a counter trend rising as well of the build an audience first, figure out monetization later. Because if you can get attention, you can figure out what to sell. And oftentimes the hard part is getting attention in the first place. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And this is an this is another reason for things like trying to build up an audience on things like TikTok and stuff like that, because and it, and it all falls in that same way. It doesn't matter if it's Twitter, it doesn't matter if it's whatever platform. Um, if you're trying if you're trying to get a number of people together and then you can then. So it, the one thing I heard is like every time you're doing something, it should never always be a sell, but it should be like this is something that you're interested in. And then every third one is a call to action, you know? So you do a thing, you mm -hmm. do a thing, you do a thing. People are interested, they're entertained, whatever. And then you just lay in a call to action like every third one. So it's not re repetitive. So people aren't like, stop selling me this thing. You're like, you, you know, you're bringing them in for the entertainment or the information or whatever it is. And then you're trying to convert afterwards. So this is how I tend to try and do things on, on TikTok, for example. I try and give cheese. Like the whole thing about cheeses was trying to give information and education on cheese what goes with what uh, advice on different cheeses like people might not have heard of them so it was all around that sort of education and then afterwards it was like okay how can we actually then do the conversion side of them making people want to buy it so i try and like carry this ethos through into the different channels as well especially with the tiktok stuff but yeah it's uh it's an interesting journey and jesus has definitely been it's the one that's been with me for the longest now um I have about nine million other things that I'm doing at the same time, but this one's, uh, yeah, it's 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 one I do I do really enjoy. So Jesus is the Vivino for cheese. So how does Vivino monetize? What is their model? We actually, it was really interesting because I actually followed a similar model to to theirs, and it wasn't on purpose. It was purely because of the need I saw um, uh, through through Corona, basically, and then. Um, I realized that it was similar to what they did. So they equally went on the full acquisition side and they were just trying to grow numbers and they didn't really have um, a direct monetization strategy. They mm. equally, if you wanted to buy one, they had exterior links. So again, that was what I followed. It, like if you saw a wine that you liked, took a picture of it and you were like, great. And it's like, it's available to buy here. And it would send you to a shop and I'm sure they worked out a deal where they got a kickback on those sorts of things. But they kind of a went, convergent evolution. 
Yeah, so it's like, you know, whatever they'd get uh, uh, some CTR rate or whatever it would be. And I thought, okay, we can do that. And then as I changed our model, I realized as well, actually, this is what Vivino did themselves, but they did it in a slightly different way. So they offered wine directly in Vivino, so, but they do fulfillment and everything. So they have like stuff that they stock themselves. Mm. And so it became basically an online place where you can buy wine, you know, so they are like their e-commerce store. Yeah. Kind of secret. So they, com they completely flipped because they got the market and they were like, well, we've got the market. So we know people are interested in wine. They come here for wine. Why don't we just sell them wine direct? So Makes they, a lot they, of sense. Yeah. Why don't you just sell cheese? Exactly. But the way that I wanted to do it was instead of having to do all the fulfillment ourselves, because it's much harder with cheese, because it's a live thing, like to, to ship it to us and then to ship it back out, you have the not just the time, but also the risk of all of the all of the stuff along the way. The, the logistics chain is a pain in the ass. Hence the reason I was like, we can do this in an easier way. Like building this, I built, I in fact, I outsourced this, um, both plugins, the Shopify plugin and the WordPress plugin to Upwork. And I got them both developed for $250. Dang, that's pretty good. I knew exactly what I wanted. I said, this is how it should work. I gave them an existing plugin that synchronized shops. And I said, this one doesn't work in the way that we want it to, but you can use it as a base. I was like, I don't care if you like just rip this apart, like, and, and then do it in the same way. I was like, but this is what we need to be able to do. We need to be able to synchronize this way, but synchronize directly to different categories, which we couldn't do. And there were a few other things and they were like, yeah, no problem. We'll do that. And they did it within, I think three days. And so it's like, it feels a bit like, hacked together because it's like oh it's just using wordpress basically but it works like it's a it's an effective and it just then everything appears on the app so we've got it in test and everything and it's a really effective way of using like technology in a in a basic way like it's so many people go like native and stuff and so our app's still built in ionic um so it's cross-platform uh we we'd use revolut payments on there so that was easy integration so everything was just like simple stuff that we just pushed together and I didn't do any of it myself, but I used to come from like an more of a technical background than I am now, but never development wise. So I'm I'm the most annoying person for any developer to work with because I know that stuff's possible. And then I'm like, well, like, you can just do it like this. And they're like, yeah, okay, we're on yeah, fine. Yeah. And if they go, yeah, but it's not that easy. And I'm like, well, but it is. You just, all we've got to do is that. And they're like, okay, yeah, fine, whatever. But every time they just get annoyed because I'm like, yeah, but I know, I know how I want it to go. Sometimes, it I just let, uh, sometimes I just let them go. And one of the guys actually I work with now more on a full-time base, not full-time, but like he, he's a part of the Cheezus team. He was from Upwork originally. So he did the original um, app work. I did the design stuff. He did the building and I obviously paid him for that. But now he's a part of the team. So I've known him for, yeah, three, four years now. And so he originally did some other work on Upwork for me and I just kept using him because he was great. He was a really good guy. And so, yeah, now now he, I class him as a friend. He's a really good guy from Egypt, and he does a lot of different work for me. We're working on another couple of things as well. We've got another mach kind of machine learning thing for a, a VI. I, work, I live right next to the airport, and there's a company there that builds um, VIP jets. So they like it's for you know, shakes and princes and all that sort of stuff. So if you want your jet completely stripped out and refitted, then uh, then they do it there. But every design has to go through 
a lot of checks and all these checks are manual. So often it comes to a point where the designer gives the design to the customer. They say yes, and then they bring it back to the engineers. The engineers say, well, this isn't physically possible because we've run the checks on it and this chair is too close to a door and you can't have that for safety reasons. And so they have to comply to certain rules. But this happens like eight times in a like revolutions that just go around and all these just revisions happen and it costs them a, a ton of money. And so someone came to me and said, can we do this in a better way? And I went, I'm pretty sure we can. So we're worked. So I'm this is like another side side project that we're doing very like stealthily, really, because, um, yeah, it's pretty stealth. And uh, but we're using another technology that he's never used, which is semantic segmentation, which is essentially what Tesla cars use. So it's what they use to identify what a car is a car, but you can't just have it so it identifies. So, for example, if I held this beer can up, if you used image classification, it just puts a box around it and it says beer can. And it can recognize that in the same way cheese, it goes, this is cheese. But with semantic segmentation, it would draw a full outline around the perimeter or the edge of the actual thing, because you, mm -hmm. you want it to just show that thing. And so this is exactly what we're using for that, because if you upload designs of a plane to it, it will show you exactly where a chair is, because we need to be able to do measurements and checks across stuff. So we're essentially building this stealth tool that allows people to upload drawings of planes and it tells you whether it's compliant or not. So yeah, it's and it's all like different ways of that we've learned because of Jesus. We're like Jesus was like the base, whereas like, I suppose goats, 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 were, goats was the base, and then you go, well, I know, and then you go, well, I know it's possible. It's just the next step after this. It's like we just do that, you just do that. And so yeah, we, so I work with him on that as well. So we do. So uh, somehow you've gone from goat farmers in Africa to private jet manufacturer or like yeah. customizer yeah, yeah makes sense i, I can draw the line <laughs> makes perfect sense it's, it's it's a day in the life of my adhd it doesn't matter what it is it's like one thing i'm over there and i'm going oh i fancy doing that that, that, that seems like a good idea so yeah it, i i love the variety though i i it for me it's but i love learning an industry as well for me it's one of the mm. best parts about it like I hate to do something without truly understanding that industry. And so my first startup was in ed tech. And so I, I learned so much about um, all the different education industry, everything like that. And my best, my best moment was at um, a massive ed tech conference in Vegas. I was at uh, one of their like sponsored events and something like Blackboard, one of the biggest um, learning management systems was hosting an event there. And I was there talking to the, all of these PhDs at the bar about how it, it was really technical about how people learn and what we were doing and all these sorts of stuff and have a conversation and the, one of the people there was like where did you get your phd and i was like what what do you mean and they were like well you must what yeah he's like well clearly you've done a phd in psychology or something and i went no i, went, I don't even have a degree I, was like, I dropped out of university like in my second year and it definitely wasn't to do with psychology and they're like how do you know all this stuff so like, i just learn it like, i really enjoyed doing it if i'm going to do something like i want to make sure it's right so i will like rabbit hole down it and just absolutely learn it and i absolutely and that's what i love and i love twitter for that as well because it just sends mm. me down different paths and i think there are so many people building really cool things that it just yeah it's 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 like a blessing and a curse because it's like oh that's cool i like that and you're like ross calm down put the shiny object away but yeah, I, I just love following other people's journeys and seeing what they're building. And it's it's hugely motivational, especially on the days where you feel like I just can't be bothered. Like I've yeah. I feel like sometimes you just feel like you've been 
you've been beaten a few times and and it it takes quite a lot of mo like self motivation and sometimes you just don't have it but I, that's what I love Twitter for I love being able to see what other people are doing and that just drives me forward that's like it's okay you pick yourself back up you can do this and it's great it's, it's one of my I started getting places. a lot more done when I stopped trying to stop myself from following the rabbit hole down you know yeah. like when something's interesting yeah, in that moment, it's the most interesting thing in the world, and the energy is uh, bottomless that you can pour into it. And the next day, maybe not anymore. So now I just try to like follow it, follow the rabbit as far down as I can, versus trying to yeah. rein myself in and say, "No, no, that's unrelated to the thing you're supposed to be doing." That's um, really so maybe the thing I'm supposed to be doing isn't actually the the most high leverage thing I could be doing. That's a hundred percent true. I, one of the things I I learned last yeah probably towards the end of last year was that like stop fighting like if you try and fight yourself yeah then you are way you more end up doing nothing you're just wasting your yeah. time fighting yourself whereas i'm feeling shit for if you it. use the energy <laughs> at least you could have done this other thing yeah if you're the the thing you're supposed to do it wasn't going to happen either way right so might as well do the thing that you want to do this is 100 percent this this is so so true and every time you think you try and force yourself to do the thing that you think you should be doing you don't want to do it more like you're there going oh, yeah. so you're, like you said you're not going to get it done so you may as well just allow yourself to be creative and go where you need to go because you'll come back because you haven't tried to force yourself to come back to it as well naturally you just come back and yeah. and you're probably and you'll sometimes. be in the best yeah I there, know, there's some tax there's some things that just have to get done like paying tax and things like that that are always boring and yeah. never interesting and the best thing i think you can do there if you're a founder with ADHD, which I think is probably a large percentage of founders, to be <laughs> honest, delegate if at all possible, you know, like figure out how to make it someone else's responsibility versus keeping it on yourself and just focus on the things you are good at, you know? Yeah, I found recently, because I've had a load of admin that I've actually absolutely hated and I'm useless at it. But if I can, if I can like time box it and go like, it needs to be done now. Like, so I mm. give myself that need. So it's like that sense of urgency. So it's like, it has to be done right now. Otherwise, I know that it would just enter this black hole of nothingness and then it just disappears. And then I'm really yeah. in the shit. So it's like, if I put that time box behind it, going, shit, it needs to be done now because I've got all these other things, then it helps me go, okay, do it. But if something then is out of my control, like I have to ask someone for something and then I have to wait for it, then it's yeah. like, oh, it's gray territory because it's going to start. That's why I hate taxes so much in America, especially. It's like, you're always stuck waiting on something. Like, I create the time box, I'm going to just do it, I want to finish it. And then I get to a certain point, I'm like, now I have to wait. For, <laughs> I don't know how yeah. long for this random thing. We have this thing in just, France. France is yeah. just the same, and it's infuriating because I tried, like you say, you try and create this potentially, sometimes it's not a false sense of urgency, sometimes it's genuinely a sense of urgency because you've yeah. procrastinated on it. <laughs> But, uh, My entire day is just a series of time boxes yeah. where there's just urgent things throughout the day, and I only work on urgent things, I guess. So I get a lot done. It's just powered by panic. <laughs> yeah, and then it's like kind of this, I find it's it's kind of cycles as well. Uh, so sometimes I feel that it's, it's, it's all on. It's like it's total just all on. But then, I, so I speak, actually speaking to my um, therapist, which has been really useful to help me try and understand. And he just says the same sort of stuff back to me, but like in a better way. And I go, oh yeah, that's really good. Because like this week I've felt, for the last two weeks, 
I completely stopped using lists to manage anything. And mm. because I fell out of it for one week, it was like the second week was just a given. It was just gonks, routines, difficult, all that sort of stuff. And I was like, I need to get back into this because equally I'm not as productive if I'm not planning my time. If I'm not planning yeah. my time, it's a bit chaotic. Stuff will get done, but it's not necessarily the most important stuff or the highest priority or the thing that's going to have this biggest impact. So it's like trying to, to create some sort of order in the chaos. And I was completely out of it. And then obviously I beat myself up over it. And then I felt really bad that I was out of it. So then when I did write the list, eventually I sat down and went, I'm writing the list, I'm prioritizing it, done. So the next day I went to hit it and went, great. But then I had this huge like pressure that I needed to achieve everything on that list as quickly as possible because mm. I felt like I hadn't done it. And he said that you have to allow yourself both intense focus and bigger picture view. So it's like, instead of feeling guilty when you're not with intense focus, understand that the higher level view when you're not being productive is important because that's the time where you actually think about things in a different way. You're not focused on a particular task, but you're still thinking about all the different things. So instead of feeling guilty that you're not like actively being productive, you are, but just in a different way. And you can't do the two things at the same time. You need to allow yourself the time for both. So instead of feeling guilty about it, realize that they're both valued in different ways. And I was like, oh, okay, that's quite good. I'm still probably going to beat myself up about it, but it was quite a nice, uh, quite a nice way to look at it. Yeah. I think it, it's taken me a long time to learn to trust myself to like get things done or like just trust that inclination of, Hey, this is interesting. I need to pursue it. Yeah. Um, cause whenever I do, things seem to go well, you know, and whenever I try to push that away, things seem to go worse. And when things go, I don't know if it's an ADHD thing or not, but when things are going well, they seem to get better and better. When things are going worse, they seem to like get worse and worse. I'm not sure if that's a perception thing or like a feed. A, a feedback cycle thing or what but yeah, that's how i feel yeah and i i think it is uh, for me it feels like it's that whole fighting fighting thing like if i fight the bad and instead of just like being like all right every time that i try and fight anything like mentally fight it it seems to just make things worse you know even if i'm trying to do it for good it doesn't have a positive impact so it's like for me i feel like if i just allow like you say like trusting yourself to just go just go with it just trust yourself to be you and see where it takes you instead of fighting it to be someone else or to do things that it, you think are expected of you and in and when stuff goes bad it's just like like this week i had a, a nightmare because my i don't know if you saw on twitter but i had a proper adhd day where that was the day that was trying to be productive my internet went off in the morning it just died and they said oh can you come to the orange shop to replace your router and i went uh... not really ideal because i'm really trying to be productive this is my first day trying to do my list and okay fine i jumped in my car or one of my cars and drove down the road and i thought shit i'm now not productive so i grabbed my phone and tried to call the hairdresser to make a hair appointment because i was trying to kill two birds with one stone right please drove drove past me at the time, saw me on my phone, oh, no. me over. they then were like, you don't have it, um, all the paperwork for your car. And because I'm useless at paperwork, obviously, I had no idea where it was. So then they impounded my car. Oh my God. Oh, geez. <laughs> they impounded my car. And because I live in France, but I have a, an English license, they were like, um, we can't give you any like points, which they normally would um, for being on the phone. And 
then you were like they were like you've been here for too long to have an english license you need a french one so we're going to stop you from driving so now this week i literally had my car taken away from me i got banned from driving from oh my god dude and but the funny thing is with that like that day like towards the middle of the day it was like emotionally really draining and then i stopped fighting it i just went it'll be all right like, it'll, it'll be all right like it's fine like i mean i'll have to pay to get the car out but and and i need to i need to cycle more anyway like i need to get back being fit again <laughs> that's like, the takeaway oh i didn't need that car anyway i was for i need yeah, bike more. <laughs> like, i need i need and i've been kicking myself for like four weeks to get fitter again like because otherwise i just because i just keep focusing on stuff and i won't prioritize it but this actually just forces me so i just turned around and went ah well it's a good opportunity for me to get fit again that's definitely um, uh, one way to put a silver lining on it. I, and I, I think I think you kind of have to because it's like, yeah. I mean, what else can you do? I, I, and it's that control. Gonna thing. stew? I, just gonna have I a great cloud over your head? Yeah. Yeah. What am I gonna? Yeah. Like, I can't control any of that. I did it. It was my fault. I'm gonna own that. It's no problem. But like, I don't have any control to change it. So that's the most severe I, example of like an ADHD tax I've heard of in a while. Yeah. <laughs> 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 trying to get done with my subscriptions <laughs> that they forgot to cancel mine like yeah no my car got taken <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty bad dude so we started at uh cheese app right we made yeah. our way through um goats in africa and private jets uh then up. impromptu therapy and now yep. cars taken away so yeah. <laughs> uh <laughs> i guess that that's the story right um, I'm curious maybe to kind of bring it all the way back. Yeah. Um, how many people are using the cheese app? <laughs> Give us a sense of scale. Yeah. So it's about three, 3,100, I think is our, our user base at the moment. So it's around is that, that daily actives or is that total downloads? No, it's total, total, so total downloads. And it's one of those things that I know that. So I, these are all the things I think about as well, because I know they're not daily active, but I don't expect people to be daily active on it as well, because why would you be daily active on a, on a cheese right. app? So I, I started to think about my North Star as well. Like, what's my aim? Like, I want mm. people to spend time in the app, right? But but I don't want them to be daily active because it doesn't make any sense, but I want them to pick it up when they want to. I want them to pick it up when they think, oh, cheese. So they think, our oh, cheese, they want to use the app. So how can, I, how can I measure that? So it's like, so I use um, uh, a company called Amplitude, do product analytics so mm -hmm. they do they've got a really good free tier uh, so any indie maker can use them which is absolutely fantastic and you actually get quite a lot from the free tier so you can map customer journeys and user journeys within your app on their free tier so i can see exactly how people are using my app which is amazing so you can see like for example i have it set up so one of the things that i really prioritized recently was making sure that people could find the right cheeses and so we updated our search because one of the highest things that people were getting were search with no results. So they're obviously trying to, and then, then they'd exit the app. So I'd see the customer journey of them coming in, searching for mm. a cheese, search for no results, leave the app. And I'm like, well, they're not getting value. They're trying to find something and they're not finding it. And so I can't go any level deeper than that. But what I can do is go, okay, let's try and understand the search query. So I've got to print out all the search queries, looked at what we had, what we didn't have. Like, okay, how can we fi fix this problem? So I really try and then focus on the metrics of what makes sense and like what I can do to try and 
improve the the metrics that make sense to me so the people that go to that for cheese and so if they're not finding what they need they're not going to come back so that's yeah. what I, I want people to do so it's trying to focus that energy in that way and that's free that doesn't take it just takes my time and looking at it and I, and I don't think a lot of um a lot of people really try and understand that they're they're really focused on acquisition but trying to understand how, it, there's no point in getting 10 million users using the app if they all experience the same thing and you haven't fixed that problem. So if you spend all your time on acquisition, then you won't fix the inherent problems that you have with your product in the first place. And I know there are many, like there are so many things that we need to make better, but it's like, where do you focus that and what draw you to the, to the right thing? So there are a number of different things we're thinking about, about how to draw people back into the app, like um, different notifications and stuff like that. Um, but ultimately, it's trying to understand how they're using the app now and trying to leverage that, really. I've heard a couple of times we and the Cheesus team. Who is the Cheesus team? How how many people it's are we talking? Me, basically. I say we all the time. I do this for yeah. everything I work on. But it's just me. I do all this work. Um, Ahmed, my uh, Egyptian mate, he'll do the coding that I ask him to do. Um, mm -hmm. But like all the, I do all the design. I designed all of the current app for good and bad <laughs> like, uh, i'm not a designer at all um but yeah all of the, all of that i've designed all the new stuff for the um for the purchasing side as well uh i, I pretty much do everything he just does the technical implementation i need to do all the machine learning stuff so anything back end or app wise he'll do um but it's all architected and designed by me and everything yeah, I, I feel like for being legit I always use we too when I'm thinking about the company. And I don't necessarily think of companies in an I way. I always think of it as a we thing and like the things we need to do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sometimes if I'm too much, if I'm working too much, then rarely it happens where I'm just, I'm actually talking about myself and I say we instead of I. Like, we need to get a haircut. <laughs> we need to go to the doctor. We need to yeah, clean up the bathroom. No, it's, it's just it's just me. It's like, why do you keep saying we? And I do it in my day job as well. And, and so I'm a, I'm a, but I, it was me that did it. And I'm a, I don't know what, it's a, it's a really bad habit. I do it all the time. I don't know if it's a, I don't know if it's a bad habit. I think it's, it's a good habit in a lot of ways because uh, in work, you know, that's like, you're kind of giving credit to the team and like unseen support sometimes. Yeah, uh, no, and like I, a business deal, you're kind of setting it up already emotionally as like, hey, this is something we're doing together. It's not an I versus you it's a us you know it's a we i don't think it, i wouldn't say it's a bad habit i think it's a good habit to have at least in the business context to be fair, although I do it have can some... backfire in like advertising right like yeah, when you're yeah. trying to tell a story to get people to buy like they connect more personally with an i story than a we story exactly exactly and that, that's where i I, I'm, I try to be better in that sense because i know when i write stuff it needs to be more personal because it is coming from me it's not coming from anyone else and so i do try and make sure that i I have to proofread my stuff, so I do actually do that. But to be fair, I do also have like a very part-time CFO who works in London. Um, she she's absolutely amazing, and I don't need her really for anything apart from filing our like our taxes most of the time. <laughs> I'm like she's like I've done your taxes for the way, and I'm like oh yeah, cheers, thanks. <laughs> like, How did you get so a part-time CFO? So one of the things I'm really good at is like selling a vision and getting people on board with the vision. And so I just recruited them part-time and I was like, look, you can have a 10% stake uh, in Jesus. So she's a shareholder and it, it originally was going to be more involved. And 
now it's less involved but at the same time i know that if like if i called on her she'd be like don't worry i've already done this i've already done that and so she's she's good like that and uh i'm really good because i'm I, I absolutely hate that and she was one of the first people that sat down and was like let's work out the the fastest path for us to get to to revenue what that looks like how we're going to get there so she asks the right like financial questions and i would 100 percent if i was ever going to hire someone like if i was like scaling any sort of startup any sort of business that i was building the first person i'd actually get would be a cfo you can outsource pretty much everything else like Why? because it, it it builds the best foundation on and it's it's playing to my weaknesses as well like i suck at making sure that we have all the right stuff in place making sure that we're compliant making sure we're all our taxes done but also it really keeps track of how much you're spending asking the right questions like why are you spending this and it, it's that kind of other like person on your shoulder to just sanity check you because i think as a founder i have a tendency to then run away and this is what we're going to do and it's like and there's just that voice of reason to just be like but is this going to get us to where we want to be where is it we want to be what are we aiming for and i never found that with any other counterpart i i've had ctos in the past that obviously just want to build stuff i have i've had uh, marketing people that just want to go out and, and and do the marketing but i've never had someone that had that balance of just sanity checking why we were doing stuff in the first place when it came to the money and that's ultimately then what matters like why are we doing this in the first place and so this is why like for me playing to my my weaknesses having that a cfo would be 100 percent my first hire because I, I know that for example i could outsource my development whether it's done in the right mm -hmm. way doesn't really matter we can we can figure that out and like in the end but one of the key things that you don't want to get wrong from the start is your finances and everything like that. Just making sure that that's right. So that's one of the things that I, I think is super important. And they, and, and, and they tend to then work with lawyers and stuff like that. Like she had experience in raising money, doing all balance sheets, mm -hmm. doing financial projections. So if you are looking to scale, she knows exactly what you need to be able to do that. If you want to raise, know exactly what to do to do that. So it's all those things that if you haven't considered them yet, they're already thinking about them. So having a good CFO that knows these things and has experience in raising money, working for startups and stuff like that, it, it, I found it super valuable and 100% it would be my first hire. So for the founder listening who all of a sudden really wants a CFO, how do they find one? That is a good question. I actually used to, I've known a few, I've hired a couple of, uh, I think three part-time CFOs in my time. And... Uh, one was done by AngelList back in the day, but that was quite a while ago. And the other one was done by LinkedIn. Um, so I just, I, I, I used to spend quite more time on LinkedIn than I do now. Uh, mm -hmm. But yeah, I just, it just, it takes a lot of time. I spent a lot of time uh, speaking to people, like interviewing them, talking to them, trying to find someone like-minded that truly had that experience that I, re I felt that I could connect with on a way that I knew that they wouldn't bullshit me. They would, and it's that communication side. So communication was, was super important to me. Someone that might call me out, someone that might ask the, the difficult questions uh, and someone that I thought would have all the experience in those, uh, you know, like like I said, like in startups and in raising and stuff like that. And someone that wasn't afraid to get their hands dirty, wasn't just a, an accounting person, someone that had that experience in actually running the, the finances side of things. And so, yeah, I, I interviewed probably you know, 10 different, potential CFOs at that time. Uh, I went through probably about 50 different CVs. And so, yeah, it was it was a slog, but 
you just got to talk. You got to kiss a lot of frogs to find uh, find that one. It's uh, but yeah, no, it, it was. That's uh, a good metaphor. I haven't heard was, that one before. Yeah, it was. Um, in, I I quite enjoy the 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 whole recruitment process, even though it's uh, it's hard work. But but it's hard finding finding right people for anything is it's difficult. I think, especially when you're you're paying in sweat equity. You're like, oh, yeah. I want to do some work for nothing. Like <laughs> it's just like yeah, wicked. And that's a that's a real struggle. Like and trying to find people that are as motivated as you, you're never gonna do. Like it's your it's your it's your passion, it's your dream. You're trying to bring people along for that. So it's very hard, especially if you expect them to do stuff. And I found this with like technical people. If you're expecting them to build stuff, it it's very difficult to hire that. Like it's very difficult to hire that on Square Equity. This is why it's easier to do it on other roles, more strategic roles, way easier to do Square Equity. The rest of it I'd outsource. That would be my biggest lesson. Like, hire the strategic roles that can come up with the more strategy. But when it comes to the tactical implementation, if you're hiring them part time on sweat equity, 100% outsource that stuff to just be tactical and get it done. Because you can you can do that cheap enough now in different places. But to come up with the actual strategy, that's often the hardest part about doing it. So hire the strategic ones as sweat equity because it won't take as much of their spare time. And then sell mm. them your vision on that. And then tactically, when you want to get stuff done just outsource it and get it done that way. So are you giving them the equity up front or are you doing like some kind of like four-year cliff type deal? Four year, okay. Yeah, four-year cliff. But to be fair, I'm fairly easy. I'm like, I'm not I, like old days it used to be. I've got into battles with this in the past and... Uh, and they're not I'm, making a salary in the meantime, right? They're just... No, exactly. Yeah. I don't ask a lot. Like I did have someone that was um, that was in a technical role and their day job was just too busy. And so we just cut ties in that way. And yeah. I've I've done this in the past where I've worked with friends that in this way, and you've it involves some really difficult conversations where you're like you're not putting in what you want out, like in you know, and this person at the time wanted like twenty twenty percent, and they were arguing they wanted more, and I was like, yeah, but you're not you're not putting in the time to warrant this, and in fact, their day job got even busier, and they're like, well, I can't put in that time, and I'm like, okay, well then we need to readdress this, and. I said at the time, I said, you know, this is nothing to do with our personal relationship. This is with 100% around our business relationship. And that's different, yeah. 100% different. And you have to you have to separate those. But it's difficult, like hiring people in that way, is, it can be, yeah. You can lose friendships quite easily over that stuff, working with friends. How do you structure that pitch? So like, you've got an idea, don't really have much to show for it yet. What are you telling someone to kind of sell them on your vision and get them on board and for just working for sweat equity uh so for me it's it's all about explaining the problem like the size of the problem i go straight that's me tell the story you know it, I, I tell the story about how it came about but I, I my vision is what i want to be in the in the future i want to be like that cheesemonger in your pocket i want to be able to help cheese producers reach new audiences i want to be able to you to be able to go on and and so for me, it's like, it's it, no matter what it is, and this is on different ones, it's like really trying to, and I don't, I don't really, I don't really kind of like have a strategy. It's just kind of what I do. And it's, it's telling the story of the problem, you know, and if people can understand the weight of the problem and how the solution, how this solution solves that, uh, I think that they can really buy into that. But that's where you have to find the right people. You have to find the right like-minded people. And you know, if you found that person, if you get that, if you get a decent response back. So if I'm if I'm there explaining exactly my vision and my future vision, like where we are now, the journey to this point, but where I want to be and 
the, that whole kind of market for it. If I get a sense that someone is really into that and that's something that they can really relate to, then that's that's something that I, I will build on and that, I think that's important. But you have to find someone that really gets that vision. And so I, so my, my day job is in, in, product, in product management. So it's, uh, I'm head of product excellence for, um, for a pharmaceutical company. So I deal with like product management processes and stuff. And I've interviewed for a number of head of product roles at companies. And I, it's funny because there are a number of companies that after the interview, I'm like, it's, it's not my bag. Because if I don't, if I don't get the vision or what they're doing, I'm sure it's great. And I'm sure it's a great product. And I'm sure, well, they're, you know, they're successful companies and that's, so it's great. They just need, they want people to take it further. But if I, if it's not something that's truly relatable for me, I don't, I don't want to do it because I, for, for me, you need to be bought into that vision to be able to drive that further forward. So even if it's a profitable thing, I wouldn't want to work with someone that doesn't truly get where that product is going or where you want it to go. So that for me is, is the biggest part of finding people. It's making sure that they are truly bought into where you want to go and where you're taking it. Because especially if you're on a small team and even if it's the CFO, it doesn't really matter because you want them to be thinking in that same way. Like you are all driving towards that same vision. And I think that that's the most important part. So that is the, for me, the, one of the biggest, big, biggest things that you would ever have, but like I couldn't work on a product that I didn't truly believe was providing value or I could get behind because I couldn't, I couldn't drive it in that way. So to kind of close things out for that aspiring indie maker, bootstrapped entrepreneur who's listening yep. to this, what advice do you give them? I would, it's a good question. I think I'm like, I think the best advice. Um, I would probably say that try and learn as much as possible, like go out and try and learn as much as possible, but learn by doing, but don't learn by chucking money and stuff. Like it's that whole thing about getting your hands dirty, experiment. Because I work in product, it's all about experiments. So everything's mm. an experiment. I've made so many mistakes in my past by doing things, thinking it was the right thing, but not truly experimenting in those micro experiment ways. Like we, everything's an assumption until we test it. Like we don't know what our customer channels are. We don't know how we're gonna distribute. That's why we test them. We have assumptions and we think we're gonna reach people by Twitter. Does it, does it work? Like go out and test it. Everything you do, validate. So have an idea, go for it. I love a business model canvas. Business model canvas for me. So I started a Discord actually, because I have a YouTube channel as well, because obviously. And so I try and direct people towards my um, my Discord. And it's only small, but I love it. because I've got like people in there, at, like kids in there at like 15, and they come up with an idea and I'm like, do a business model canvas. And I, I was talking a kid through this 15 year old kid in class who was doing a business model canvas. And I was like, this is your start for everything because it gets out your head onto paper, but everything on that paper is an assumption. You don't mm. know that that's true until you test it. All you have to do from there is experiment. And if it's all wrong, do it again, start again. It doesn't matter, it's a living document. Like start getting something down and then test it. The amount you learn validating those assumptions is huge. 
And then as you start talking to people, you start experimenting, you then go, I found something out I didn't even realize. And it just makes everything just come together. So I would 100% say that just get out there, put something down, test, 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 and do those experiments and make sure you don't let 100%, the biggest thing I would say is don't let your pride and ego take over the data. Because the amount of times we get so behind an idea that we don't listen to the data that says you don't have product market fit or no one's going to buy this, that we just want to push it on regardless. Because we're like, no, we know it's a great idea. The data says it isn't. The data says you're not going to sell it. So listen to the data. Put your ego to one side. Listen to the data. Test everything. Validate it. That's what I would say. Did you test with data, Jesus? No, because I'm shit at using my own advice. <laughs> All right, I just check it. Actually, <laughs> I built it first and then put it out there. And then I, I do things. I, I, so I didn't test the whole thing in the first place because it's kind of evolved. But I, I, for all things like distribution channels or acquisition channels, I, I test those. So the, 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 all of those sorts of things I now test. But the idea in the first place, I did this, the same thing. I went, I want to build it, so I'm going to build it. I didn't really care. And then I tried to work out. I thought I had an idea, but everything on top of that in terms of how I'm going to do the business, how the business model is going to work, how I'm going to acquire users, how it's going to do. I, I made sure that I, again, I, I used like the product analytics. I test my um, acquisition channels and stuff like that. So I do experiments all the time now. Uh, but the initial one, no, it was purely a case of, and this was back. I, I started this in 2019. Um, so yeah, I, it's again, I've left it. I've, I've, I've gone off a number of times and, and, and thought, I'll be fine. I'll come back at some point. So it's, it's been purely like, yeah, aban not abandoned, but just left on its own devices for a few times. Uh, and this is one of the ones where I've given it more attention now. But, but yeah, I, I tend to validate things a lot more now than I did back then. If your product is lean enough, if you can launch fast enough, then I think the product itself is the experiment. Yeah, if, you yeah, didn't, if you're not wasting tons of money launching something, then you know the market tells you the answer yeah. for it. You don't have to. You don't have to study yeah. it. Just get it I, out there. I completely agree. I completely agree. If, and and I think nowadays you can do that so much more than you could before. I think you can get stuff out. And like you this said, this is the is value too of the audience building. You know, because if you build that audience, you've got a little. You've got enough distribution to run these tests. If you don't have any audience, then maybe budget in that test, like a few hundred dollars for like paid ads or something, just some way to get enough traffic to actually validate the idea. Or, um, I agree. Or you find places where your audience are. You yeah. Know, you've got to find, if you don't have your own audience, like your own following via whatever it might be, find out where your people are. But that then comes back to the whole, in my product head, it's like, who are the people you're targeting? What are your customers? Yeah. Like, where are they? Uh, that you will find a spot where they, it might be a Facebook group, it might be Reddit, it might be something you'll find, you'll find your users somewhere. And I had this conversation with someone on, actually on Twitter the other day because they were like, they were trying to, they had a, they've got an app that does stuff with babies, like it's tracking the feeds and stuff. Okay. And they really wanted to get it in like nine to five Mac or something like that, the, like the, the Apple publication or whatever. And I said, I just went, devil's advocate why do you want it in there and they went well for you know for marketing and i said but are they your customers like are they your customers that are using that are reading that 
Well, I can't imagine they are, but I'm just going to ask you the question. Like, are they your customers? Like, probably not. Where are your customers? It's like, well, probably Facebook groups or, you know, TikTok. And I went, okay, so do you really want to get it in there? Like, would you focus your energy? And he went, actually, that's a really good point. And so it's like, you've got to find out where your customers are. And yes. having an audience is great if they're your customers. But if you're building something that your Twitter followers aren't interested in. Yeah, like, the audience no, doesn't matter for anything. Yeah, hence the reason I, I don't actually often talk about Jesus, apart from it's the whole like building side of things. So I'll talk mm-hmm. about the things I'm doing from a, a building a thing, but I don't promote it as in, because my audience isn't on Twitter. Hence the reason yeah. I'm there trying to utilize other channels, because what's the point in trying to acquire people on a channel that is not effective in that way? It just doesn't make any sense. So it, I think you've just got to find that audience and then try and maximize that as well. Yeah, it's, there's a lot wrapped up in the idea of like product market fit. It's the product, it's the market, it's how are you going to distribute to the market? Who, what is that audience you're trying to serve? How can you effectively reach them? Can you effectively cost efficiently reach them at all? Um, yeah, and what, just and think what, a lot about their customer the and their product, but not necessarily how they're going to get the two of them in the same room together. Yeah, and it's like, I, I always think this as well, and it's like, what's your because we often have like multiple different distribution channels as well and it's like what's the most effective like where are you actually converting people like where does it make a difference yeah. what's the most quality channel because that's where you should spend your time like if you're not converting like it makes less sense to do and so like for example i spent all this time doing like tiktok stuff and it's good for building the audience on tiktok and i know over time my assumption is that it will pay dividends over time because I've only been doing a bit, but I'm like I'm I'm playing the numbers game at the moment. But from an acquisition point of view, I track all that, so I have short links and stuff like that, so I can see where things come from, and so I know that I have had I know six people use my short link from TikTok out of the all the people that have viewed my stuff. And so you go, well, that's a fairly poor conversion rate of even just clicking or going to that link versus my app store. You know, that's a mm-hmm. way better acquisition channel. But from a marketing point of view and from a brand awareness point of view, it's pretty good. So it's like you have to understand what provides the value and where. And if you understand it and you still do, that's fine. But I think a lot of people are like, well, Twitter's where my audience is. It's like, yeah, but is it valuable? Like, are you actually converting to paid customers via that? Is it getting you money or do they come from different ways? They, they might even come from a search engine. Do you know this? And I think a lot of people just to like don't understand those things. And I think they're so important because if you're spending all of this time or money on trying to convert your users your you need to understand your cost of customer acquisition versus you know your lifetime value of customers and and we don't i mean for me it's it's free so right now i'm like it's whatever and everything's an expense but if when you when you have like a model and you know what you want from a value from that customer a lot of people can't articulate how much it costs them to get a customer in the first place um, Ross, it was great having you on. Where should the people find you? Oh, good question. All over, anywhere. Now you can you can follow me on um, on Twitter at random shenans. That's probably the best place. But yeah, that's my. And if you're looking book. for the uh, the Vivino of cheese, go to cheeses. Yeah, I was going to say like they know they know now. It, it's in there. Gonna, they, they'll forget the name cheeses, but all they'll remember is Vivino for cheese. So I don't even need to pitch it. It's just it's in there. It's fine. Yeah. But yeah, follow me on Twitter. Like I, I cover most of the stuff in there anyway. I'm just here for a good time. That's all. It's all good fun. Well, we had fun. 
Thanks, Ross. Yeah, likewise. See you on Thanks, the Thanks, man. It's been great chatting to you.